We're used to seeing um, warning signs. Some we pay attention to, some we don't. Uh, and some we've gotten used to ignoring. We usually walk right past uh, this sign when we see it set up in a store. You know, we come in and, and, and there's the sign. You know, it says, it says wet, you know, wet floor. And, we, you know, particularly this season, we think, well, of course it's a wet floor. Everybody's walking in here with snow all over their feet. And we don't think too much about it. We usually just ignore them and go off on our own merry way. Unless, of course, we've slipped on a wet floor before. And then when we see that sign, we pay just a, a little bit more attention to it. Some restaurants have sign on their doors about allergies, and particularly nut allergies, and uh, we, we ignore it. We walk right in, and we go and order our food and get whatever we want, unless, of course, we've had some food allergies or nut allergies, or we know someone you know, who has those, and then uh, this, it, it tends to get our attention a little bit more, and we may go find a different restaurant. Uh, one of the things I was thinking of in particular is this challenge sign that they put up along the highway. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it is. I'm a guy, and this is how we drive. And we see this little sign underneath the curve that tells you they're suggested safe speed, and we think, no. <laughs> um, now, just so you know, um, if you're ever riding with me, don't worry. I, I've tried this, and you can you, don't do this. You can usually go 10 miles an hour faster than what that little yellow sign says. Um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of a challenge. It's the same thing for a man when you pull up to a red light and somebody pulls up next to you. Well, of course it's a race. I mean, they're right there. That's why they're here. I mean, that's why they're here. That's why we're both lined up at the red light, isn't it? So that we can see who gets, who gets, who goes first and, and gets to the head of the line. I mean, uh, you know, we see now, you know, you pay, you don't pay attention to this unless again, you maybe slid off of a curve on a, on a, a wet day. I haven't, but that was Angie last week. Got to, got to experience that. Uh, you know, but we, you know, we see these signs and we kind of go, we kind of go right, you know, we kind of ignore these warning signs. Well, the verses that we're looking at today are Paul's warning to those who have a relationship with Christ. Uh, really, it's a series of warnings. Now, I would suggest to you something similar to what I suggested last week. Uh, when God gives you a warning, it's best not to ignore it. Just, uh, you know, just, uh, it's best not to ignore it and put in your own thing. You know, it's best not to see it as a challenge and see, well, just how far we can push it. When God gives us a warning, it's best to pay attention uh, to that warning. Now, I have summarized the warnings that I see here with this statement here. And that's don't embrace the shadow of religion and miss the relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't embrace that shadow of religion and miss the relationship with Jesus Christ. This past Tuesday, I was leading a Bible study at St. Anne's Nursing Home. Uh, I go there once a month. Kent goes there once a month. I do the first Tuesday of the month. He does the second Tuesday of the month. It started years ago when Esther Duplay, some of you know Esther, um, when Esther Duplay was, was a resident there and they asked if I would come and do the Bible study, they thought it would be nice, you know, and she just thought it would be great, you know, that her pastor could come and do it. So I started that many years ago and I've been doing it all that time. Kent was subbing for me and they thought it would be great if he kept coming, so they asked him. And so we're going. Well, anyway, I was there Tuesday, and we've been, I have been studying the book of James with them. 
we all kind of do our our own study that they you know they don't assign us anything which when you're in a, in a, a catholic institution like that that's that's unusual you know that they ask me a protestant guy to come in and lead a bible study there and leave it up to me as to what we're going to study and how the study unfolds so I, we were going we've been going through the book of james and at the end of one study one of the gentlemen looked at me and he said you know i have come to realize that i have been pursuing the elements of a religion all these years and i have missed the relationship that i am supposed to be living with god you you people who have been praying for me when i go there what a great answer to prayer this was you know and so he's and then he said you know he said i wish i would have learned this sooner in my life and what you know i i you know I, it's a huge statement and a huge step forward for this man you know that this a huge step forward that he's made at least at this point in his life that he realized that he has been pursuing the elements of religion and been missing this relationship that's a place we all need to get to we all need to be able to get to that spot don't embrace the shadow of religion and miss the relationship with Jesus Christ let's pray and then i'll show you how i got to that conclusion father thank you for the way you open eyes and the way you've opened our eyes I thank you for opening the eyes of of Bill that Bible study this last week and I just pray you draw him deeper into a walk with you into a relationship with you and I pray that you would draw us deeper as well don't ever let us think that 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 we've done enough that we've gone far enough that we know enough don't ever let us fall into the trap of ignoring your word and doing our own thing So Father, as we look into your word now, I I thank you for it. I thank you for the guidance it gives. So help us to approach it with our hearts open to you. What is it that you want to say to us this morning? Speak through your word that what I say might draw us into your word for deeper understanding of, of our spot, our place, our walk with you and the challenges before us. So use this, Father, for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, if you're using the Pew Bible, page 1084. Colossians chapter 2, I'm going to drop down to verse 16. We've been, going through, um, we've been going through the book, and last week we made it through verse 15 of chapter 2. We're going to pick right up with that. Uh, and as I mentioned, there are actually several warnings in this section of verses they seemed to me to be organized in, in three areas, and that's the way I'll be addressing them this morning. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read each section of verses that I'm going to be addressing. Uh, so keep your Bible open or handy there, because I'm also going to refer back to a couple of verses uh, that were just before this uh, as, we're, you know, as we're going along. Verse 16, Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you, in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a sabbath day these are a shadow of what was to come the substance is the messiah now here's where i grouped the first warning i saw the first warning and to me it was religious practices are insufficient 
We need to understand this. You know, we need to be warned that religious practices are insufficient. Our Sunday school class, Dean, was leading us through this morning in in, uh, Luke 11 and and really kind of was touching on on some of this. It's been very interesting to me the way sometimes what what we're going over in our Sunday school class parallels uh, what God has us in, uh, you know, on Sunday morning. And it's just kind of an encouragement to me. But now in, in order for this section to make the most sense to us, we need to remember Colossians was one continuous letter. You know, it's, it's one letter that was there. So far we've broken this up into six. This is the sixth week we've been in it. And so we've broken it up into six sections to get to this point. We have another five, six, or seven to, you know, to, to continue through this book. But we can sometimes look at the verses in the section we're looking at each week as if they are totally separate, as if they are not connected to the other parts. But they are. You know, it's one continuous letter of unfolding thoughts. Now, if I tried to cover, you know, the whole letter in one message, I, I did the math this week, and it would be approximately a nine-hour message. I didn't think either one of us had that in us. You know, I just didn't think, you know, the, the, the mind can only take as much as the seat can stand. And, you know, and um, while I think I might be able to talk for nine hours, probably it wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, so, we're, you know, we, we are breaking this up. And as I was looking at this section, again, here, it's, it's pretty obvious to us if you look at this section that it's important to remember what came before because you'll notice it starts out with the word therefore, verse 16, therefore, which means, you know, it is specifically based on what was just said. Now, if you look back a couple of verses, verse 14 and 15, you will see the statements that it seems to me these verses for, from, for today flow from. Verse 14, that he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Some of the translations say by the cross. And then it says, therefore, you see, because Christ has paid our certificate of debt to God, you know, for, for our sin by nailing it to the cross. You remember it's, it, the, the sign on the cross says what the what the reason, the reason that this person was being put to death, the violation for which this person was being put to death. And it says our certificate of debt, our reasons, our obligation to God that we violated is what was nailed to that cross. And so when it was nailed to the cross there, you know, because that it was, we are now free from sin. Our sin is paid for. So we're free from our own efforts of trying to win or trying to earn what Jesus Christ has already taken care of. He has already taken care of this certificate of debt. And so, you know, we don't need to earn what he has already paid for. You know, we don't, we don't need to work for it. On the cross, tr- Christ triumphed over any other ruler, any other authority that is meant to put us into bondage. Therefore, we know that religious practices are insufficient and unnecessary to gain what we already have in Christ. It's unnecessary for us to, to try to gain what we already have. So... He says, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or to drink or to festivals because religious practices are insufficient. That's the picture he has here. 
Now, that doesn't mean that anything goes, because when we have a relationship with Jesus, you know, when we have that relationship with him, we are to be living in that relationship. We're to be living out that relationship. We're to be living from that relationship. All of that is a part of of what we should be doing. If we truly have a relationship with him, we should be living in that. We should be living it out. You know, it should be, it be because he, he, we, he is in us. It should be living out, you know, and that's what we should be living from. We're not living, we're not living to try to gain it. We're living it because we already have it. And so we have that privilege, that honor, that responsibility of living from it. The point is to please Jesus Christ with your living, not to simply conform to some religious standards that they talk about here. Those are some religious practices that the Jews in particular would have brought along with them into Christianity. Remember, they didn't see themselves as Christians. We look back and see them as Christians. They saw themselves as Jews who found the Messiah. That's how the, that's how the Jews were thinking. And understandably so. And they were used to the practice of their religion. And this is now to be a relationship, not a religion. And that that transition is a little tough. It's not only tough when when you change religions. Here's where it's also tough for, and you better remember this or we're going to be in trouble. It's tough for you to pass this on to your kids. And to your grandchildren. Because you see they're being raised here. And they can pick up these things of religion. These things we do. But that's not what we want for them. What we want for them is to embrace a relationship with Christ. We want them to know the Bible. We want them to know the things of the Bible. We want them to know the stories of the Bible. We want them to be able to grasp and understand what they're, what they're teaching them in Sunday school, what they're going over in children's church. And we want them to know those things. But above all, we want them to know who Jesus Christ is and to have a relationship with him. We want them to know that we do communion and what communion stands for. We want them to know about baptism and what baptism says. We want them to understand really the importance even of church membership and what that means to a body. We want them to realize that the offering we give is our response to God and that we do these things, but we want them to know that it's because of a relationship, not just because these are things we do in church. That's our challenge for us. To be able to pass this on to our kids. Not to set themselves up in bondage to a set of rules. You know, to live our lives for God. That's what we need to be doing. That's what we need to be able to pass on to our kids and to our grandchildren. To embrace that for themselves. The reality of the relationship with Christ. Now, one of the places that references to food and drink and festivals come from is the law. The Old Testament, you know, those the directions and the information that God gave his people, which we find in the first five books of the Old Testament. And we refer to that as the law. And they referred to it as the law. And it laid out all of these things, all of these 
prescriptions, if you will, all that, that they were to do and that, that, that they were to have. Now, what we need to be careful about it, you know, the law is, it is not to be ignored by us because it is still part of God's word. And as part of God's word, we're not to ignore it. Because you see, the law still reveals the holiness of God. That's what it did for them. That's what it should be doing for us. The law still reveals the holiness of God. It still helps us to understand the character of God. Who he is. That he's not only a holy God, but he's a loving God. He's righteous. He is, he is, he is a, a God of great mercy, but he is also a God of wrath. He is a God of patience, but there's also a limit to the patience because, you see, the law also helps us to see his character. And it helps us to see our character. Paul made that very clear in Romans chapter 7. He says, what should I say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would, have not, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example... I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. You see, the law is a stable standard. It doesn't change. It, it doesn't change, you know, with, with, what's, with, with, with what's going on in the whims of society. It's a stable standard that is there to guide us, to help us to see and understand who God is. Andy and Chelsea were moving this weekend, and you know we were—I was over there helping them. And uh, one of the guys that Andy and Pete went to school with was over there helping on on uh, Friday. And I was in a truck and we were unloading stuff, and we were talking just a little bit. And he said to me, "Things have really changed from when we've been in school, from when we've been in school, you know." And you know he realizes this already, and you know, and it's it's not been as long as since I've been in school, you know. It's, because the standards of our society change. And that's what he and I were talking about. The standards of our society change. And he said, but see, the law is stable. The law is, 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 is secure. It, it, is, it is there for us to know and to understand who God is. It is unchanging and helps us to know him and understand him. And the challenge for us then is to see Jesus Christ in the law. Because here's what Jesus said about it. He said to them, this is Jesus walking, walking with the disciples back to Emmaus. And as he's talking with them, he says, this is what he said to them. How unwise and slow you are to believe in your hearts all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses, the very first books of the Bible... And all the prophets, all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, that was their Bible. The New Testament was being lived out. He says, from the beginning to the end, from Moses to the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I'm meeting with a group of men on Tuesday mornings, you know, this over at McDonald's. And what we're studying this year is that fact. What the old, Jesus, seeing, I believe the name of the book that we're using as a guide is Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. Is that the name of it? 
I asked David, and that's, David and I think alike, so I don't know. Uh, but, you know, but the, uh, you know, the, the, the and, and it's just been unfolding, you know, the, the things of seeing Jesus through the Old Testament. Yeah, and, uh, and here's what Jesus said, you know, that there it is, all of this stuff was written about me, he said. You see, the law and even religion, it's not, that, that's not the problem. The law is not the problem. Even religion isn't the problem. Religion should be the expression of our heart to God. Not things we're doing to, you know, to you know, be, be shine, you know, shine ourselves up and say, oh, that's pretty good. That's not what religion is about. It, it, it's the expression of how we live out our commitment and life to God. You know, those, those things in themselves those aren't the problem. Here's the problem. Timothy explains it to us. He says, but we know that the law is good. Provided one uses it legitimately. That's the struggle that they were having. That's the struggle that they were having. And one of the things that, that Dean led us in the study of this morning, one of the things that was there is, that, you know, because they were not using it legitimately. They were not using the law legitimately. You see, instead they said, you know, you need to do this. Why? Well, because it says so. Not because of our commitment to Christ, because it says so. Now, while because it said so can get us through some tough times in our life, and, you know, there is a, that should not be the main reason why we do those things. Why we do them should be because of our commitment and relationship with Christ, not to fulfill some, some obligation. It should be flowing from a heart of love. It's an illegitimate use of the law. It's an illegitimate use of religion when we simply make it about the practice and miss the relationship that we're to have with Jesus Christ. You know, the, the law was to direct the people into a relationship with God. You know, but too many stopped at the law and made practicing the law their goal. I washed my hands, you know, just like it, just like it said in the scripture. I, I gave the, the, the passage and you know, what Jesus brought up this morning. I, I gave a tenth of, of everything, even the little stuff, you know, and, and, and I fulfilled that obligation. I showed up at the temple for us and I showed up at church and I fulfilled that obligation. I, I put money in the offering plate. I fulfilled my obligation. I, you know, I smiled at my neighbor. I fulfilled my obligation. I didn't, I didn't cuss out my boss. I fulfilled my obligation. You see, and we see all these things. And he says, you know, that, that's, it's, not, it's not about filling out that obligation, he said. This is what they fell into. You know, their goal, you know, the, the, it was simply practicing the law is insufficient because it stops short of a relationship with Jesus. We need to get to that relationship. Don't put yourself into a bondage, into bondage to a set of rules, he's saying. You know, people who observe food restrictions, special days, any list of do's and don'ts, any list of do's and don'ts you want there about conduct, they give an outward semblance of spirituality, but those practices cannot change the heart. You see, a relationship with Jesus is what brings a real change of heart. And that's what we need, a real change of heart. And it's a relationship with him that the heart changes. The actions do change, but it's because they're flowing from the heart. You see, and the heart is what's changing. That's what we need, a change of heart. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Without God, it's incurable. Without God, you still carry that certificate of debt. That he mentioned, you know, back in verse 14 and 15. You still carry that certificate of debt. He said, you know, it's incurable. Who can I, it's, it's with God. 
This is why we're told about the importance of guarding our heart. You know, and to me, this is a huge verse to me. You know, you've heard me talk about it before. Guard your heart above all else. Above how many things? All else. All else. Guard your heart. Why? For it's the source of life. It's, it's what flows out of us. It, it gives us that direction. It's, you, know, you need to have a heart that is committed to God. and fo- If the heart is committed to God, it will be following God. Those times and those areas where we see we're not following God is an indication to us that there is a heart problem there and we need to begin to, we need to, begin to open up that part of our heart to God as well. That, you know, that everything that flows from us, we need to realize that connection to our heart. Religion is simply a shadow of the relationship we're to have with Jesus Christ. And the relationship will bring a change of heart, and a change of heart will bring actions consistent with the relationship. And they will be long-lasting. They will be sincere, not hollow and empty. You know, the problem is that we can worship rules and we can worship our theological, you know, ideas and constructs more than we worship Jesus Christ. Religious practices are insufficient. Let's move to the next section. Verse 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops and grows from God. What I see here is that religious experiences can be misleading. Religious experiences can be misleading. The phrase in here, in Holman Christian Standard, it says, let no one disqualify you. It's a picture of an umpire or a referee disqualifying someone from sporting competition. The Olympics are going on now. And part of the Olympics, uh, an important part, are those judges and uh, referees in some cases that, that watch over what's going on. And they watch over what's going on, and if they cross a line when they're not supposed to or whack somebody with a hockey stick when they're not supposed to or something like that. They're disqualified. He blows a whistle. You know, I was going to bring a whistle up here, but I didn't. And it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he blows a whistle, honks a horn, you know, and you're out of here, you know. There's the, that's the international symbol. Uh, <laughs> He was out of here. Uh, you know, and, and you know, so they, they yeah, basketball, you know, bing, you know, you give them a tee. Uh, you know, you know and, and that's, the, that's the picture here. Let no one disqualify you, you know. You know, don't let someone make you think that you don't have a relationship with Christ just because you don't follow their set of rules. This is what he's telling us here. If you have the Holman Christian Standard, look at the text note there of how it's worded, and this is the way it's worded, uh, similar to this in some of the other translations. Let no one cheat you out of your prize, it says. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone cheat you out of your prize. And don't cheat yourself out of that relationship with Christ by substituting a series of experiences for the real thing. Experiences, you know, I mean, that, 
experience has a place in, in Christianity and has a place in our walk with Christ, and we need to understand that. What we need to make sure is that we don't get, we don't get off on looking at the experience as opposed to Christ. Uh, for example, you know, some people would like you to believe that you must speak in tongues to show that you have the Holy Spirit. You know, so they convince some people to pursue this experience of speaking in tongues. And so what they begin to do then is pursue that experience as opposed to pursuing Christ. Well, God tells us that he gives us the Holy Spirit when we come into a relationship with him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, For we were all, notice that word, all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Again, Romans chapter 8, he says, All those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. So if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have the Spirit. You have that Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible does talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said we should expect it in Acts chapter 1 as he's speaking with the disciples before he's he's, uh, resurrected. He's already been resurrected before he was exalted, you know, brought up into heaven. It says, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the word baptism means to be immersed in, you know, that you'll be immersed in, you know, the Holy Spirit. So there are times when we experience this immersion, you know, in our life. And you'll experience evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, tongues is not the evidence that, you know, that, that we'll experience because, again, Jesus told us what it is that we're to expect. Just a few verses later, in, in verse 8, he says, But you will receive, he said, you will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, here's the evidence of the baptism of the Spirit, is the power to live as his witness. That's the evidence. That's the evidence, Jesus says, of our life in the Holy Spirit. You know, and even as you, as you go through, I'm not harping on tongues, it's just an example, but you know, as you go through and you see tongues, what were they used for? A witness. When you go through the book of Acts, they were used as a witness. And here he says, you'll receive power, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses. The witnessing that, you know, that stands out to us is that tongues at Pentecost there, but it was not the normal display of the power of the Holy Spirit to witness. We see that power when the apostles are arrested and they're put in jail, yet they're released. And what do they do? Well, they go right back to telling people about Jesus. So Peter and John were arrested, and they were released. You know, the, the, the Spirit of God released them, and they went out what, the next day. Then they went out, and they were preaching again. Well, the, the officials who arrested them didn't realize that, that they were already released by the Holy Spirit. So he sends the soldiers, hey, go get those guys. Go get those guys out of the prison that we put in prison yesterday. So they go to get, the, they go to get Peter and John out of prison, and they're not there. And they come back and they report, uh, they're not there. But by the way, they're, they're, um, they're in the temple speaking again about, about, about Jesus. There you see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The power to witness. And in their case, the power to witness in the face of opposition who had some authority to punish them. But yet you see that power unfolding and that power to witness for God despite those possible consequences. In Colossians here, Paul mentions ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. You see, that's these experiences, and then these experiences become an obsession that can actually undermine our commitment to Christ. 
Because now what we're doing is, is we're chasing the experiences and the experiences take a more important and a more influential role in our life than Jesus Christ does. And the focus is on the experience and that's not the spot you want to be in. A focus on angels, saints, visions. It has a negative effect because it turns us away from looking to Christ and it turns us to look to these things for help and guidance. And he says that's not where we're to be. Now just a side note, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, and there's the key word, um, God did not create human beings to be angels. I'm sure your grandmother was a wonderful person. She is not an angel in heaven looking over you. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about people becoming angels. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about angels becoming gods. The one who tried was booted out of heaven and is Satan, who was an angel of light and tried to be God, like God, and was booted out. You know, angels are beings created by God totally separate from humans. They are not to be worshipped. Twice in the book of Revelation, John is so impressed by seeing angels, he bows in reverence to them, and he's corrected for it. This is one of the passages. That's not it. I must have missed that one. I, should, I, was, going to, I was supposed to show you that later, earlier when I told you about that they, they did what God wanted them to, so just write that down. Uh, but here in Revelation, you know, he says, you know, then when he worshipped the angels, then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. Don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have t- the testimony about Jesus. You see, there's the focus on Christ. Worship God because the testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. A little bit later, apparently John forgot, and he again bowed down to worship an angel. He says, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Our relationship is, to be on, is with Jesus Christ, and that is the one that matters. We're to, we're to guard against the encroachment of any rivals. Now, the reason some others let things become so important is because they lost touch with the head, which is Christ. Now, he told us about this earlier in, in uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, he is also the head of the body of the church, speaking of Jesus. He's the head of the body. He's the beginning from the firstborn among the dead so that he might have first place in everything. You know, he is that head. He is that, and here's what he, you know, and this is what, he, what he's told us here, you know, in these verses we're looking at now where he's talking about, um, you know, that at verse 19, he says he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished. He doesn't hold on to Christ, you see, that head from whom the whole body is nourished, held together. By its ligaments, develops and grown, you know, from, you know, from the body. Uh, you know, don't give that place to another, ever. We cannot live, we cannot grow on our own without Christ. We need him. You need that connection to the head. And you cannot grow without spending time with him in prayer, spending time with him in the word. He is head. But notice it says he is head of the body, and it talks about the ligaments and things there. It's a common illustration in Scripture, you know, that we are the body of Christ because we cannot grow without, without other Christians either. We can't grow on our own. We're not meant to grow on our own. 
We're meant to have a connection to Christ. We're meant to have connection with other Christians. And if we're to break free from sin, we need Jesus and we need the support of friendships in church. We need the guidance of others. We need the help and encouragement. We need the teachings that we get to when we come together you know, and learn how to leave that sin behind and how to embrace holiness. That's the thrust of verse 19 that he's talking about there. It's also what we see in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, he says, let us not be, excuse me, and let us be concerned about one another. Why? In order to promote love and good works. Be concerned, not staying away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. He says, he said, be concerned about one another. Encourage one another. I like the way King James said, spur one another on to love and good works. I get the picture of the spurs on the thing and give them a little, you know, and I used to, you know, I used to like that because I was, I was, let me give me a good kick. You know, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about encouraging them on in the right direction, encouraging and helping them. And when you see them struggling, you come alongside and you help and you minister to one another. You know, we do have religious experiences and we need them. We need experience that we do have them, you know, and we need to have them, but they are misleading when they choose, when we choose to pursue the experience rather than our relationship with Jesus. He says, don't do that. You pursue your relationship with Christ. Let's get to this last section very quickly. Verse 20. If you died with a Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. And they are commands and doctrines of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting aesthetic practices, humility, and severe treatments of the body, they're not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. What I see here is that religious regulations are misdirected. They're misdirected. Again, we need to remember this is a continuing flow from the, of a letter. And here it's tied again to what you see earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. It was for our sin. It's our sin that was on that cross. His death was for us, and it brings us freedom. So why would we choose to live under the influence and direction of the world, meaning those without a relationship with Christ? Why would you choose to live under the influence and direction of those without a relationship with Christ? Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore governmental leaders. We're not, you, know, you have to take all of Scripture, and Scripture tells us to obey those leaders you know, that are among us. That misses the point. He says here, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're set free from sin. So don't live as if Jesus Christ's death means nothing. Don't live that way. Don't live as if it means nothing. Why would you live under the rules that say you must earn what God has already given you in Jesus Christ? Regulations such as those mentioned in verse 21, they drive people to depend on their own works instead of the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
You know, the philosophies that Paul's addressing here, uh, there anything that diminishes, that diminishes the primacy of Christ or diminishes the centrality and sufficiency of Christ. If Jesus Christ is not the center, you see, then he said these philosophies are, are wrong. If Jesus Christ is, if his sacrifice is, is insufficient, he says, then they are wrong and you need to avoid those things. When you depend on following rules and regulations for your standing uh, in your, instead of that relationship with Christ, you're depending on what he says here the elemental forces of this world because having rules in our head is no substitute for having Jesus Christ in our hearts there is no substitute there because then we're simply substituting a checklist for a relationship with Christ this is how Paul words it in the, in the letter to the Philippians and I, I really like this he says watch out for the dogs watch out for the evil workers Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God. Boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, Regarding righteousness, uh, that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing compares with that relationship, he said. Nothing is getting in the way of that relationship of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Don't embrace the shadow and miss the relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't do that. Realize that religious practices are insufficient. Religious experiences can be misleading. And religious regulations here, they're misdirected because they're directed at behavior and not at the heart. God wants your heart. Because when he has your heart, he will have your behavior. Don't embrace the shadow of religion and miss the real thing. A relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.